On today's show, Houston Rockets trade deadline preview. Who gets moved and who stays? Will the Rockets address their shooting and backup big man needs? And what are the chances that we actually see a Jalen Green trade happen? It's all coming up right here at Locked on Rockets. This is Mission Control, Houston. Ignition sequence start. Throw it up to Jalen Green. Shingoon here in the short row. Oh, my, that's the no look. Jabari for three and the win. Yeah! Tari Eason! Here comes Tari! No! T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. The Houston Rockets select Amen Thompson and Cam Whitmore. One thing I have never done is not made the playoffs, and so we want to take that step here as well. Six, five, four, three, two, one. What's up and welcome to another edition of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, Native Houstonian, a credentialed media member, also the host of Locked on NBA Mondays. Be sure to follow along on Twitter at JT Gatlin, the show, of course, at Locked on Rockets, free and available wherever you listen to your podcast, including YouTube, where I want your thoughts. What do you want to see the Houston Rockets accomplish at this NBA trade deadline? Let me know in the YouTube comments. Now, today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use code all lowercase locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. And as always, Thank you so much for making Locked on Rockets part of your day every single day, whether it's on your way to work, on your lunch break, in the gym. Thank you for being an everydayer and making Locked on Rockets part of your day every single day. Joining us now is none other than the podfather himself, Rockets Wire editor and host of the Logger Line podcast, Ben DuBose, who you can track down on Twitter at Ben DuBose, here to preview the expectations going into the NBA trade deadline for your Houston Rockets. And Ben, this is a Rockets team that is, you know, let's be honest, they're, they're floundering a little bit as of late. You know, no Fred Van Vliet. They're 0-3 without him on the season. Still no Tari Eason. We're not even sure if Tari's alive at this point. Um... But this is a team that needs maybe some moves at the margins to plug up some holes if they want to be able to make that play-in push here post-All-Star break this season. A couple of the biggest needs that we've discussed previously on this show, they they need additional shooting. They desperately need a backup big man. So we're going to kind of canvas the NBA landscape and see what names are out there, potential targets. And uh, also, we'll, we'll start with just what are the pieces that the Rockets could move? And it's very simple. They have the contracts of Jock Landale to work with, Jay Sean Tate, which an ex- effectively an expiring deal, but also a, you know, maybe not highly touted wing defender, but at least a somewhat desirable wing defender uh, in certain NBA circles. There's been some interest in Jay Sean Tate in the past. Uh, and then also potentially the contract of Jeff Green as well, even though Jeff has been uh, a consistent staple part of the Rockets rotation, his play has kind of fallen off as of late. And if you can get a an upgrade to that position, either the backup five or a you know positional upgrade elsewhere, uh, and maybe sign a backup big man or get a big man in some other capacity, then maybe you you use Jeff as a moving piece as well. Um, bigger need in your eyes, shooting or big man? I would say big man. I just trust from a shooting perspective that some of these young guys that you're giving more reps to will eventually step into a larger role. We've already seen it. Jalen Green scored 29 points in or more in five of his last eight games. We've seen Cam Whitmore coming on the last few weeks. So I'm bullish on what they can do internally. Tari Eason's a guy who you wouldn't think of him as a shooter, but for his NBA career, you're talking 35% the entire time from three, 35% or better. So 
I think it's a combination of you do have internal options and you have younger players who you would expect to get better. So if I had to choose, I would say backup center simply because they just don't have one. They clearly don't trust Jock Landale. And even if, you know, some of his play this year is perhaps a bit exaggerated because he wasn't healthy early in the year with the ankle when he did play at the same time, it's not like you can reliably turn back to Jock Landale now and expect significantly better results. And Jeff Green, we've said it many times, he's not a center. And now his shooting has actually fallen off in a big way the last uh, 15 games or so. So you can certainly make an argument that asking a 37-year-old power forward to bang in the paint and guard centers has taken a toll on him as the season has progressed. So I would just say from my perspective, it's got to start with the backup center spot because that's the one thing. And maybe there's some matchups you don't need it. I do buy that with Tari coming back relatively soon, you can play Tari or Jabari at the five against some teams, but there's others where you do need that physical presence and they just don't have it as currently constructed. Not saying that filling the shooting role is easy, but I just think that when you look at how young they are, you can mount a case for some optimism that some of these young guys will get better. Jalen in particular, he should be due for an uptick. And we've seen that by and large over the last eight games. It's the big man spot that they've never even had it. Let's be honest. You know, with shooting, there's the youth and also the veterans, guys like Fred Van Fleet and Dylan Brooks. January onward has not been great for them, but we know they're capable of better. We saw it through the first two plus months of the year when they were 15 and 12. So I would just say it's got to be backup center because that's the one hole on this team from day one. We know they want it to be Brooke Lopez. It wasn't next year. It will be Steven Adams. If you want to make a legitimate push this year, I think you've got to address that in some fashion. And we're, we're going to get to some of the names here in just a moment, but we've already seen a little bit of action ahead of Thursday's NBA trade deadline. A couple little kind of marginal moves being made. Um, Simone Fontecchio from the Utah Jazz being traded to the Detroit Pistons, which originally it looked like he was being traded for just a second round draft. And I was like, whoa, if you can get a shooter for just a second round draft pick, like be all over that. But it wound up they, the the Pistons are sending a, a very good second round draft pick as well as the draft rights to a prospect that they drafted in last year, two two seasons ago, uh, a, a draft and stash prospect, as well as Kevin Knox's, I think, expiring deal. Um, so a little bit more than just a flat-out second rounder. And then we also saw Xavier Tillman of the Memphis Grizzlies being traded to the Boston Celtics for a pair of future second-round picks. So we're already seeing some little moves at the margins being made. Now, now whether or not either of those two guys would have been absolute difference makers for the Houston Rockets is a little bit besides the point. The point here, however, is there are serviceable role player level guys that can be had for what looks to be relatively cheap value, right? A second, couple seconds, a draft and stash prospect, that kind of thing. So hopefully that show that, that tells us that Rafael Stone will have, it'll be more of a buyer's market where they can get something of value for some of the second round picks that they do have left over. They don't have a ton to work with. I think the Rockets have five second rounders in their possession currently. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, so it's not a ton to work with, but it, again, if it's only going to cost you one to two second rounders to get a guy who could potentially be the difference, but maybe not, maybe not the exclusive difference maker between making the play in and not making the play in. But I do think there's something to the idea of getting a guy that can help this team right now and potentially even help them down the line, right? Steven Adams is a great player to hopefully bank on for next season. But if you can get a guy that can potentially fill that role, then maybe you're able to flip Steven Adams in the offseason, or maybe you're able to flip the guy that you pick up at this deadline in the summer or next year at the deadline if he doesn't have a role in this team. It's okay to have that problem, but 
the evidence is clear. You can't rely on Jeff Green for this back half of the season to be your exclusive backup five. It just doesn't make sense anymore. I would agree with that. I think for me, before we go into specific targets, I will say Utah selling on Fontecchio makes me very curious about Kelly Olenek, who yeah. personally, that's my dream acquisition because he would actually address both needs. He's mm-hmm. a big who can shoot. So you can do it all in one. And the question is whether the Jazz, who are now a little bit ahead of the Rockets in the play-in race, would sell given that dynamic. It appears that under the right circumstances, they will. They're taking the longer term view. So that's my dream acquisition. Don't know if it's going to happen. Maybe the Rockets would have to pay a premium because they're a team the Jazz are directly competing with this season. But as long as as long as Olenek is out there and he is set to become a free agent this summer, I don't know why, if you're the Rockets, you wouldn't be inquiring. What I will say philosophically, what I want out of this deadline more than, more than anything else is consistency. Look, after everything that happened last offseason with offloading Garuba and Tai Tai and giving up a, a couple of second round picks to facilitate that and the outrage that the Rockets fan community had to that, I'm not saying that the Rockets at 23 and 27 are necessarily at a point where they should just throw those second round picks around like candy. It's not to that phase yet at 23 and 27. And now beyond the Jazz continuing to play well, the Warriors are showing signs. So you can make the case that the Rockets are ahead of schedule and they're probably not going to make the play in no matter what. So if the prices are too high and it's still largely to be determined, we haven't had many trades to this point, then I could see a case for being patient and saying, you know what, this is not worth, you know, throwing all our chips in. And I'm not saying do nothing. I do believe you can get something to, at a bare minimum, at least give Ime Udoka a better option at his bench, even if it's not a consistent rotation player, but just a better, more steady option than Jock Landale or Jeff Green, then that should help. But I don't think the Rockets should just aggressively pursue, let's say, Kelly Olenek, even though I love the fit, if the Jazz are demanding a first-round pick or someone else is offering that, even if heavily protected, I just don't think it's worth it for the Rockets. They're not at that point in the rebuild. However, this is where it comes back to alignment. If that's your view, that it's not the right time, that we got to be careful with the valuations, we don't want to throw around the second-round picks like candy, asset management is a real thing, then how can you not move Jay Sean Tate by that same logic? Because his value is never going to be higher if you wait until the offseason. He'll have one year left on his deal. As of probably this weekend, you're going to get Tari Eason back. And at that point, I'm not even sure what role Tate would have as currently constructed. He could potentially be blocking a guy like Cam Whitmore to some degree moving forward. And that's before we even consider the options that come from trading Tate, because you could easily put together a three-way scenario where you trade Tate to someone for a second-round pick, and then you redirect that second-round pick for you know a decent big man. And so you don't even you come out awash in terms of your net second-round picks because you're moving Tate. He's the value going out from your end rather than the pick. The pick would be from somewhere else. So I guess what I'm saying is I do understand for Rafael Stone, the value equation is delicate and they're not at a place now where they want to splurge no matter what. But by that same logic, I don't know how Jay Sean Tate is still on this roster after Thursday. His value is not going to be better. There are already potentially guys that he's blocking. So I know the Rockets front office loves him. I know he's been you know, a good culture guy for four years, but the writing is on the wall with the rotation in Houston. So even if you give them the, the benefit of the doubt and say, you know what, it's not quite time to be super aggressive, the market isn't right, yada, yada, then by that same topic, or, or by that same logic, excuse me, you should be looking to move Jay Sean Tate and recoup some value that way. 
Yeah, I mean, internally, the Rockets absolutely love Jay Sean Tate, and he has been a great culture-setting culture kind of guy. Um, he's still a... a a winning player in the right circumstances, but given where this Rockets team is at, the, the other pieces that they have around him, some of the other non-shooters that are just better in their respective roles, Alperin, Shingun, Amin Thompson, you know, you just, you have to concede those minutes somewhere, and especially with the emergence of Cam Whitmore and how good Tari Eason has been this season, the writing is kind of on the wall for Jay Sean Tate. He's still a guy that probably has a lot of value around the league, a guy that you could probably get a few second rounders for, maybe a late first or something if you're aggressive at you know shopping him this deadline. So we'll see what Rafael Stone does with him. And I'm glad you bring up the idea of a, a three-team trade because I've got a a whopper of a three-team deal that we're going to suggest here later in the program. But coming up, we're going to get into some specific big man names as well as maybe some shooting names that the Rockets could target this deadline. We're going to get there in just one moment. First, today's episode is brought to you by Nissan. Are you the kind of driver that likes to push things a little bit further? Maybe you wonder what adventure could be around the very next corner. Our friends at Nissan have a lineup of SUVs with the capabilities to take your adventure to the next level. The 2024 Nissan Rogue is perfect for city drives and great escapes. Class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost Anything gone are the days of connecting your phone. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen display right there at your fingertips. The 2024 Rogue is the perfect midsize crossover for your next adventure. But hey, maybe you want something a little bit bigger. The 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has room for up to eight individuals, an expansive cargo capacity, and advanced available 4x4 capability with 284 horsepower and up to 6,000 pounds towing. When adventure calls, the Pathfinder is there to answer. So take the Nissan Rogue or the Nissan Pathfinder and go find your next big adventure. Shop NissanUSA.com. And continuing on here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Now we kind of started laying the framework here for the Rockets trade deadline, expectations going into the deadline, what assets they they more or less have to work with, the expiring contracts and deals they have available, uh, the amount of second round draft picks that they have. Now the other element to consider here is they do have some first round picks to work with, namely the, the one that you're kind of teetering on. Do you, do you go all in with this pick or not? Is that 2024 Brooklyn Nets pick? And it, to me, I, you really, you don't want to let go of that pick unless you're going to get like a, a true difference maker. Um, even if you're, you're not sure what you're going to do with that pick. We've had discussions about this in the past on this show about, you don't want to be in a place where you have to draft that pick. You get into the car analogy of, you know, you drive it off the lot. It loses 35% of its value, whatever. Maybe even if the Rockets hold off and they do like a draft night deal with that selection, that would be better than trading that pick at the deadline for a, a marginal improvement at best. Like I wouldn't want to trade that 2024 Nets pick for Kelly Olenek, who's on expiring, even though Kelly would be exactly. an incredible fit. And, and he's at the top of my list. He's at the top of your list. That would be a mismanagement of assets, I think. But some of the other names that we have here, some, some big man names to be on the lookout for that could very easily be on the move. Uh, one name to keep an eye on, Andre Drummond, who I think would address, you know, a significant need here in Houston. He's a, a you know, a, he's an elite rebounder, passable defender, gives you size. He's just an innings eater. He's a guy that can eat up 10, 15, 20 minutes a night on any given bait on any given night. And you put him up against some of the other big bodied centers that maybe Alper and Shingun or Jeff Green are struggling with. He's not exactly a guy that's, that you're going to want to feature in the postseason if you make it there. But if you could get, Andre Drummond for a couple seconds or something like that, then 
I think that's a no-brainer type of deal if Chicago's willing to let go of him. I just think there's going to be kind of a market for him, especially with the 76ers and Joel Embiid being out for likely the remainder of this season, uh, or at least out until potentially the postseason. I would assume the Sixers have already inquired and called about Andre Drummond, uh, as well as probably other teams that are looking for a serviceable backup big man. Absolutely. To go back to your point about the first round pick from Brooklyn, the, the reason I've come around on just keeping it at least until May and June, I mentioned a couple of episodes ago that by keeping it, you do get the chance. I believe now it's about 26% of that pick really increasing in value because the top four kicks in. You win one of those four lottery picks. I believe the odds are 26% right now. So if you traded it now, people would value it, in my opinion, about eight, nine, somewhere in that range. But there is a non-insignificant chance that it could bump up. And if you wait until May or April or June, then you at least have the chance to see if that 26% kicks in and it gives you a better asset. The other thing to keep in mind, and no deal happens in a vacuum. The NBA is a league where all of this is interconnected and it's star-driven. And the biggest reason why I think no big names are getting moved at the deadline is because there's a lot of teams that are waiting out the next situation is crazy wave. We've heard the rumblings about Donovan Mitchell, Zion Williamson, even Joel Embiid, those names. None are available now. They could be this summer. And so when those names are potentially available, there's going to be a lot more opportunities around the entire league because all sorts of teams are trying to reshuffle their rosters, clear salaries, what have you. And that's where, you know, a young, very cheap team controlled asset like a Brooklyn pick that's say number eight in the first round order could really benefit you. As opposed to now, not only are you not including the top 4% odds, but you're not even, I just don't see the player on the market that would have the upside to be worth giving that up. So yeah, I'm in full agreement. We're at a point now Mikhail where Bridges. unless... Sorry, um, what was that? <laughs> we're we're going to get to yeah. that in a moment, but uh, no, continue. Unless something, yeah, unless something stunning happens, I just don't see the player that's going to be out there in the next 24 hours that has the upside to give up. You know, even if it's a below average draft, whatever, it's still most likely a, a top 10 pick. There is value there. So I think, you know, the ship has sailed, in my opinion, on most of these scenarios where you would give up that pick. You're probably talking about second round draft capital, which that seems to be the currency of the day and the deals that have happened thus far. And beyond that, you might can, I know I said this before, and I'm going to keep emphasizing this. I do think by selling high on Jay Sean Tate, you might can bring in a legitimate upgrade without, you know, giving up any second round pick at all in terms of your current stash. You could just redirect who you get for Jay Sean Tate. And I know some people think that, is people will ask, well, what's going to happen to the Jay Sean Tate role? Since January 10th, he's been playing like 14 minutes per game. I did the math. His role has already shrunk significantly, even with Tari Eason out. Aaron Holiday's about the same. And Aaron Holiday even had a DMP CD last week. And I, so these I, minutes, even had a, I even had a couple of people point out in the most recent loss against the Pacers, right? Jay Sean Tate wasn't even on the floor for that final defensive possession where yeah. you would think, hey, he's your, he's one of your like defensive wings, defensive ace, whatever. I think he's kind of lost some of the trust of Ime Odoka with some of the the aggressive fouling, the fouling, the three-point shooters, the the, the dumb fouls that, we, that we've well, like, griped about before. I think maybe that that is a little bit of some of the writing on the wall there as well well that Jay Sean Tate's role it just isn't what it used to be for this team 
Yeah, and I also think that with Amen Thompson coming on, the shooting and spacing limitations from Tate become more pronounced. Yep. That's why I said earlier, if I could address one spot, it would be big rather than shooting because you already have several young guys that as far as the wing and guard roles are trying to get more minutes for, you could even point to Reggie Bullock and say, maybe there's a case. We know the last few years, he's been significantly better as a shooter from January onward. Maybe you give him a longer leash at times. I just think there's significantly more internal opportunities when it comes to the shooting role rather than the big. And then as far as Tate, once you concede that he's really not helping you much at all, and there might not even be a rotation role period once Tari comes back as currently constructed, at the same time, look, we've talked about it in the past. He can be an ideal role player for a good team that has other options that can score the ball and let him compartmentalize into his role. I think one fit that could be there, Kevon Looney of the Warriors. Jake Fisher mentioned that with Looney's role declining significantly, the Warriors could be looking for a more defensive wing type, which Tate can help them there. The contracts are basically identical. Looney has a little bit less. Well, actually, no, he's a little bit more. Uh, Tate's deal is uh, non-guaranteed for next year, as I understand it. It's a team option. But at the same time, I mean, I assume that whoever trades for him would pick it up because he is still a quality player. It's just not the right fit here in, in Houston. But Looney's a guy who I could see fitting for the Rockets. If you think back to 2018 and 2019, when he was a free agent with the Warriors back then, we know the Rockets pursued him hard. Gerald Morey is no longer in Houston, but Rafael Stone, Eli Whitus, they still are. And they were part of that team that went after Looney then. So I could see that being a better roster fit. So for me, all roads sort of come back to Tate because I am sympathetic to the argument that this team where it is and with its play and odds clearly below 50-50 now and take you know a step back, the 30,000 foot view, whatever you want to call it, and say that they're ahead of schedule. So it's not really the time to splurge. Okay, I can understand that to a degree, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't try to look at options internally with guys that are barely playing as it is, and maybe you can turn them into roles, guys like, you know, Kavon Looney or Andre Drummond or anyone of that ilk that would be a little bit better fit for this roster. And maybe Reggie Bullock, by that same logic, is a trade candidate as well. I know he hasn't played much here this year, but he does have a fairly recent track record of success at an NBA level. To me, it's more about flipping those guys and using them as your currency. I think that's the play rather than being just crazy aggressive, no matter what, with the second round picks. And and those are kind of those are those are, again, kind of those moves at the margins, right? Getting a little bit creative there. I think if you could if you could flip Jay Sean Tate's 10 to 15 minutes a night into a a consistent 10 to 15 minutes a night for Kavon Looney backing up Alper and Shingun and then further opening up more of those wing slash guard minutes for obviously Tari Eason when he returns the the continued emergence of Cam Whitmore like that makes absolute perfect sense. And then you also, uh, you know, the added benefit of that is you get to continue preserving Jeff Green because he's very much a guy. I think Rockets fans are a little down on Jeff Green because his he, his play has plummeted the last month. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, he's just, Jeff Green wasn't built to be, he's a 6'8 power forward that's playing f- full-time backup five minutes. That was never supposed to be the case for Jeff, especially at his age. So I think if you get him back into that reserve role where you use him sparingly, you use him in certain specific matchups as an advantage, whether it's, defensively against a guy like Zion like we saw earlier this season or you put him at the as the small ball five when you want to you know cause some mismatch problems for a certain lineup for a certain team a certain mismatch whatever you do that but I think the Rockets very clearly need they need a a definitive go-to backup big man um they they picked up Steven Adams but that's the long-term play for next season they need an answer I think this year even if they don't want to necessarily go all the chips in try to push for the play and whatever they need some kind of resolution to their backup five spot now a couple other the names to keep an eye out for 
I think Rashawn Holmes would be an interesting one from the Dallas Mavericks. Um, he's not a part of the Mavs rotation whatsoever. Derek Lively has been incredible for the Mavericks, and Rashawn Holmes really he's just he's just kind of sitting there gathering dust. Uh, he's making about twelve and a half million dollars. You could very easily uh, parlay the Jock Landale contract into. Uh, Rashawn Holmes, maybe even Jock Landell and like Reggie Bullock, if you want to, you know, entice the Mavericks with like an extra shooter. If you're not planning Reggie to Bullock utilize. reunion, yeah, there you go, Reggie Bullock reunion with Dallas. Hey, look, if you're not going to use Reggie Bullock, if Ime is not going to play him, then you might as well get some semblance of value back for him. Get a rotation piece that will actually play, or like you alluded to, right? Flip him for a second or a little bit of value that you can then redirect towards another piece to, you know, bolster this roster a little bit. So I like Rashawn Holmes as a potential target. Um, and then the last name here, we've mentioned him a couple times, but Bismack Biombo just sitting out there waiting to be signed. Like, just go get him like that. That's the easiest answer right there. Just go. Sign yeah, yeah, yeah. Him. But you'd have to open up a roster spot to do that. So I hate to say it as, as much as the vibes are incredible. I love him. He's one of the yeah. most genuine human beings. You will ever have the chance to countenance, uh, Boban is serves Boban. no purpose on this roster. Like he's just there for the vibes. Steven Adams fills the vibes. Yeah, now Steven Adams is a vibes guy. Yeah. Yes. So like you don't you don't need multiple vibes guys on the roster. You need serviceable players who can actually contribute on an on a game by game basis. And, and if you can, and his contract has already passed the fully guaranteed date, so you've already done right by him yeah. in terms of compensation. There you go. So yeah, like it, it, it would be a no brainer for me to just, Hey, Boban, thank you for your time. We appreciate you for hungering down and helping the young guys get through the, the, the initial stages of the rebuild. But, uh, sayonara, we're going to go sign Bismack Biombo because we can actually play him on a consistent basis. Coming up, we're going to get into some of the shooters that the Rockets could potentially target as well this deadline. And we're going to get to a whopper of a three team deal, uh, tackling some of the, you know, Jalen green, talks could Jalen Green still potentially be on the move ahead of this NBA trade at deadline we're gonna get there in just one moment first today's episode is brought to you by prize picks prize picks is America's number one fantasy sports app with over three million members of the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports because it's just you against the numbers you just pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. It's that simple. Prize picks is so easy to play. You can make your picks and submit an entry in less than 60 seconds. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types is what makes prize picks the number one DFS app on the market. Plus, it's now demon time on prize picks. You can now win up to a hundred times your money with as little as four correct picks. You can turn $10 into a thousand dollars. Demons and goblins are the newest and most exciting way to play at prize picks. Squares marked with red demons or green goblins get you different payouts. You can now win up to a hundred times your money with just four correct picks. So if you've been thinking about getting into daily fantasy sports, give prize picks a chance. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use code locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA. Again, promo code locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to 100 bucks. Prize picks is daily fantasy sports made easy. And final segment here at locked on rockets, your daily podcast home for everything. Houston rockets basketball. Now, Shifting gears here a little bit, we covered some of the big man names to be on the lookout for as far as what the Rockets could potentially do this deadline. We're going to quickly tackle a couple names of some shooters that the Rockets could potentially target. Now, again, it's a little bit harder when you're considering the shooters that they're going after because, again, the Rockets are kind of at their upper limit of, of available minutes across the guard and wing spots on the roster. Real, realistically, at this point, you've got 
Fred, you've got Jalen, you've got a men, you've got Cam. Those are all your guard minutes right there. For your forwards, you've got Dylan Brooks, Jabari Smith Jr., Tari Eason is soon to return. That's kind of eating up all your forward minutes. You're really not going to have a ton of space, even if you added an impact guy, a shooter. You know, you might only have anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes per game to give them, and it would probably have to come at the expense of minutes for a guy like, say, a Dylan Brooks or minutes from a men or Cam or whatever. So, if the cost is too steep and you're also then sacrificing maybe developmental reps for, for some or multiple of the younger guys, then it's probably not that, not that worth it at that point. Yeah, I would agree. I would also add that I think this is where the Rockets internally are going to have to make some hard calls because with there not being a clear path to minutes, it's not as simple as saying, well, they've got to fit in the rotation for X minutes or it's not worth the upgrade. No, even if it's someone that's out of the rotation entirely some nights, if it's a better option when called upon than Jock Landale or Reggie Bullock, then that's fine. There's value in that. I would say there's value to a point in a season where you're 23 and 27 and still in the relatively early stages of a rebuild, but it's not... Um, it's not inconsequential either. And so I would say to sort of bring this full circle, I think this is a really interesting deadline for the Rockets and a bit of a test for Rafael Stone, because I feel like, you know, a lot of the conversations we've been having over the last three seasons, we know that Tate is a guy the front office loves. You referenced that earlier. We've talked in the past before everything went haywire about Kevin Porter Jr. being a guy that the front office love. And, even if the on-court fit wasn't ideal the last couple of years, I think they generally took the view that, well, because we like this guy, even if the fit isn't right now, let's just get through this season and the fit might be better later. This is in the second stage of the rebuild where you do have to consider fit a bit more. Even if you're not all out pursuing a playoff berth or a play-in um, tournament spot this season, at the same time, you do have to ask hard questions. And even if you like a guy like Jay Sean Tate, well, what's his fit the rest of this year? What's his fit next year? Why would you want to re-sign him with all these guys you've got to get minutes for? With with Reggie Bullock, you've got to compare him to some of these shooters and say, what does he not give me that a shooter that's on the market conceivably could? And so I hope that this year, and it sounds like, you know, this is where having a trusted head coach like Ime Udoka, you reference these needs. Ime actually went, out of his way at one of his pregame media sessions in Houston last week to identify versatile bigs, i.e. a compliment or a contrast to all friends Shingun and three-point shooting as clear needs. That's not just us pontificating. Ime said that himself, and so he can throw his weight around, and that's where you need to be willing to make some hard conversations or to have some hard conversations and make some hard decisions because it's not just about who's going to, I guess, be the optimal fit from a front office perspective, who are we highest on? Who do we like? No, there are certain fundamental things that either are or aren't happening on the floor. And so when you look at who's on the market, then yeah, compare them to Reggie Bullock and say, what does this guy do that Reggie Bullock does not? And so to me, that's sort of the framing that I think they need to go into this with. A couple of the names out there that I think could be gettable as far as some shooting help for this Rockets team. Gary Trent Jr. is a sleeper that I think could be could be a great mm. pickup. He's an expiring contract. Um, so, you know, it, not not like the Raptors would be able to get a ton of value for him for a half-season rental, but that could be a name to, to be on the lookout for. And Boyan Bogdanovich is another one. Go ahead. 
No, I was going to say, and Trent is at 18 million. It's worth noting that it's not as difficult as some have made it out to be for the Rockets, even after trading Oladipo, to still get to a mid-sized salary because you can combine Jock and Jeff, even if you want to keep Jeff, okay, you can combine Jock and Tate, and that's $15 million right there. You could throw in Boban and get to 17. So even a guy like Gary Trent, who I think, you know, the conventional wisdom is after losing the Oladipo matching salary that he's not really in the game anymore. No, I think he easily still could be. The Rockets have they have better matching potential than than some believe at the moment. Yeah, there there's very easily ways for this Rockets team to get to that 15 to 20 million dollar range for a guy that can be a potential impact contributor even if it's in a spot role, you know, 15 minutes a night, 10 minutes a night, whatever. If they think that they can turn guys who are effectively either A completely out of the rotation as is like Reggie Bullock and Jock Landa or B on the on the outskirts of potentially being on you know on the outs of the rotation like a Jay Sean Tate who might get squeezed as soon as Tari Eason returns to the lineup, then yeah, turn those guys into another guy that can actually eat up some rotation minutes that can give you something of need shooting um, into you know a Gary Trent Jr. type. Or again, Boyal Bogdanovich, another name to be on the lookout for. He's making $20 million this season. He's got $19 million next year, but it's not it's not fully guaranteed. Um Buddy Heald, another name to be to you know another shooter that could very easily be on the move. Although it's a little weirder, not sure what Indiana wants to do now post Pascal Siakam trade. Um, maybe Buddy Heald just stays put there. Um, but again, I, I don't know. It's just tough, right? Because you you can you can say, oh, they should just go get a shooter, but it's just, where are those minutes going to come from, right? Like, do do you play yes. do you play Buddy Heald over Jalen Green? Do you play him over Cam Whitmore? Do you play him over Dylan Brooks? Like like how who's going to give up their minutes so that you can add a guy that's a shooter? And and even then, unless you're adding like a, a shooting specialist, like a guy who's like a clear cut like. 40% or higher three-point shooter that you can plug in the game and he can guarantee drill some threes, you know, like a zone buster type guy, then, you know, I just don't know if it's worth it at this point. But a conversation that we have to have on this episode because it's been one of the uh, biggest conversations leading into this trade deadline is what the hell do the Rockets do with Jalen Green? Um, they have fielded calls about Jalen Green. There have been reports that teams have inquired about Jalen Green. There have been reports that the Rockets have even potentially, you know, tried to see what they could get for Jalen Green with other teams, like namely the Brooklyn Nets. So at this point, I'm encouraged by the what looks to be Jalen Green potentially having turned a corner with his recent play. Um, that has been encouraging to see. We know he's very much a second half type player. Um his first two seasons in the NBA as we approached the all-star break and then immediately thereafter the all-star break Jalen's play, you know, elevated to a, to a different level. Both of those first two seasons in the NBA. And it looks like we're headed for that same exact pattern. Again, he's very much a second half player, but the recent good play does not erase the fact that he really struggled for most of the year. And it also, we, we just have to discuss the fact that it's the Rockets are at a point where you're going to have to make some hard decisions. And if you're bought in, if you if you still think Jalen Green can be a part of a winning team, a winning environment, a winning culture in some capacity, it doesn't have to be as your starting two guard. It could be in a bench role. It could be whatever. You can change his role however you see fit. But if you're still bought in on that that version of Jalen Green, then by all means, hold on to him. Don't sell low on him. Don't trade him. Whatever, keep him. And you can you don't have to extend him this summer. You can let him walk to restricted free agency and then match any potential contract offer. That's fine. However. The Rockets are in this position, as you alluded to earlier, about where where in this stage of the rebuild, fit starts to matter. And I think that when you have a blossoming all-star like Alperin Shingun, who has looked phenomenal for a majority of the season, 95% of the season, he's looked incredible. 
I think you have to start really considering, do you start putting the right pieces around that player to then elevate your ability to be successful down the line? And that's where the Mikhail Bridges discussion comes into play. Because if you were to swap Jalen Green for Mikhail Bridges right now, this Rockets team becomes immediately, like, I don't know, 10 wins better, probably, ballpark. Because Mikhail Bridges is an all-NBA caliber defender. He's a knockdown three-point shooter. And those are the two skill sets that you want to complement Alper and Shingun. So to me, it makes a ton of sense if that offer is on the table. Now, we know that there's been a ton of posturing from the, the Nets front office and Sean Marks and they're, Oh, we don't, we want 18 first round draft picks for Mikhail Bridges, whatever. I, I don't, it's, it's not realistic, but I, I have a trade for you, Ben, that I'm going to propose. And it was suggested by a uh, good friend of the program and Rockets, Twitter legend, uh, David Wiener, Bima thug who suggested a three team deal. And I'm going to put it up for our YouTube watchers. It's up on the screen right now. Uh, Mikhail or Houston gets Mikhail Bridges and Bulbul. So Bulbul from the Phoenix suns. They send Jay Sean Tate to Phoenix and then Brooklyn okay. walks away with Jalen green, Utah Watanabe, the 2024 Brooklyn first rounder, the 2027 pick swap with Brooklyn gets forgiven. And then they also get a couple second round draft picks via the Phoenix suns that both come by way of the Memphis Grizzlies. And then the Brooklyn Nets also generate a close to 22 million TPE. How do you feel about that trade? I think I would do it. And one thing that's underrated about Bridges, it's not as if you can't move him later. If yeah. for some reason he's not the ideal fit, let's say Cam blossoms into a superstar. Look, Bridges is on a very team-friendly deal. He's only 27 years old. So it's not just about the immediate fit and he would upgrade your team. He's also a pretty good asset if you need to move him later. Or the or more conceivably... scenario, move, moving Dylan Brooks later, right? Yeah, you can move a, exactly what I was going to say. You Dylan can move Mikhail. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of options. So it's not as simple as saying, oh, is this the time to cash out on Jalen Green for a 27-year-old? The calculus is a little more complicated than that because you're talking about setting yourself up long-term, not just through how old the players are on your roster right now. People get so fixated on, you know, Jalen, well, he's about to be 22 if he's not already versus a 27-year-old Mikhail Bridges. It's a lot more complicated than that when you're actually trying to win. This is not abstract mode anymore. We're getting a lot more concrete in, in terms of what the fit is. And for this particular team, yeah, I do think it would make them much more consistent. It would address many of the weaknesses. With that said, I think that's the only scenario that I would be open to at this deadline, simply because I don't see the value for Jalen Green this offseason being that much worse than it is right now, no matter what. I don't buy that anyone, even with this stretch I referenced earlier, five of eight games, 29 plus points. I don't think anyone around the league is saying, wow, Jalen Green is back to star trajectory, if you will. No, they've seen these stretches from Jalen before. Think back to the 30 point stretch he had to finish out his rookie season with a 40 plus in the finale. The question for Jalen is whether he can do it consistently. If he has a good month, will he then be able to build on it and follow up with something similarly good or even better as opposed to regressing? So it's going to take time. And I think if someone trades for Jalen now or if they trade for him this summer, the calculus is going to be the same. The calculus is going to be, we think in our system, if we use him a slightly different way, we put him in our, with our coaches, yada, 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 that we can get better results than Houston has thus far. It's going to be something of a flyer. And I just don't see that much downside risk by waiting. However, I do see a ton of upside to waiting for the reasons we outlined earlier in the pod and that there's going to be much 
more opportunity around the entire NBA this summer because it looks like that's going to be your next potential wave of big name trades. And it's not even just about the Rockets potentially going after a Donovan Mitchell or Zion Williamson themselves, although I'm sure they'd throw their hat in the ring if that player was open to coming to Houston. You're always looking to add all-star talent. That's sort of common sense. But beyond that, there's a whole trickle-down effect when it comes to those types of transactions and teams needing to offload salaries, three and four team trade configurations. And so I think for the Rockets, Jalen isn't going to decrease in value, but there's going to be significantly more options when it comes to intriguing pieces that you could get this summer. The- now, the one exception would be Mikhail Bridges. And I agree with you. If the Nets and Sean Marks and ownership finally have a come to Jesus moment and recognize, okay, this is not happening. We need to, you know, consider actually blowing it up and recouping some of our draft assets. Then okay, because that is a market advantage for the Rockets. You should be able to disproportionately get a good value deal with Brooklyn because those picks are super important to the Nets specifically. So I would say that's the one scenario where yes, I would highly consider it at this deadline. Other than that, I say you wait until the offseason. His value is not going to get worse. And there's the upside of of saying, look, if this continues, then why wouldn't we keep him? Why wouldn't we go into year four if he, you know, finishes the last two months of the season the way he's played largely for the last three weeks? And the the only potential downside I see to to keeping him, though, is at some point, right, especially as you move into year two of what is phase two of the rebuild, where winning probably becomes the ultimate goal. Like th- This is the transitional year, right? This is year one. Ime's getting yeah. his feet wet. He's trying to figure out what he has with some of these young guys. Winning is going to become the goal next season. Like I like that's going to be. Agreed. It's no. It's not going to be development and then winning on the side if it's possible. It's going to be we got to win next season. So at that point, you're not going to be giving developmental reps to Jalen Green. He's not going to get games where he gets oh, thirty agree. plus minutes. So at that point, you know what is his role? Are you willing to let him try and you know tough it out as a, as a sixth man at that point? Are you willing to move him out of the starting lineup? That that becomes a whole other like can of worms that you're going to have to unpack if you keep him past that. And again, the, the time-sensitive element here, the time-sensitive asset that the Rockets have is that control over the 2024 Brooklyn Nets pick because if they give it back to the Nets here at the deadline, then the Nets can just tank the rest of the season. They can bottom out. They can be a terrible yep. team, and they can give themselves the best possible odds at a top pick in this year's draft, whereas if you hold on to that pick until draft night or until this offseason or, or whatever— then the Nets are going to continue trying to be a middling team. They're going to try stick on the treadmill of mediocrity. They're going to try and make the play in or be just whatever version of team they think they can be if they don't deal Mikhail Bridges. And I do think there's something worth noting here. I've seen a lot of people say, oh, I wouldn't trade Jalen Green unless it's for a star player. I wouldn't trade Jalen unless you can get a superstar back. I, I hate to break it to you, but... The Rockets do not have the best. Pa- they don't even have like the third or fourth best package on the market for a superstar player. They just don't. Now, uh, the good news is if a superstar wants to come to Houston, uh, then that's the key point. And, and because they have Ime Odoka, who is largely viewed as a as a very favorable head coach, a guy that a yep. lot of players want to play for. Right. That's why we had to talk about potentially pursuing a Joel Embiid type in the offseason when we saw Ime Odoka at Joel Embiid's wedding and all that stuff. So. That is something to consider, a factor that is important. But if, you know, Donovan Mitchell just says, get me out of Cleveland, I don't care where I go, send me somewhere. There's a bunch of Houston's other teams. Houston's probably that have not a the part of the list. Yeah, yeah. Look, OKC is number one in the NBA. They've got the bet. They can beat out anybody else's trade package. Utah's probably number two. San Antonio's probably number three. Like, like, there's a lot of teams that have a lot more assets as well as young blue chip prospects that they could trade that are either on par with or potentially even a little bit ahead of Jalen Green. 
And so I don't think the Rockets are just sitting in this position where, oh, they've got to wait for a star and then trade Jalen Green. Mikhail Bridges might be the best player that you could trade Jalen Green for right now and, or potentially this summer. Yeah, and my understanding is that the Rockets are very much open to that. They've let the Nets know that they're open to I can't say with Jalen in particular, but at least with regards to Mikhail Bridges, if the Nets want to engage the Rockets about some sort of framework involving some of those draft assets for Mikhail Bridges, the Rockets will absolutely listen. It's about when the Nets internally, when or if they ever come to that realization and are willing to bottom out. So far, they haven't. But again, maybe Sean Marks or ownership, you know, wakes up on a different side of the bed tomorrow and says, okay, I'm finally willing to do it. They have K the last couple of years with uh, James Harden and KD at the deadline. Last point on Bridges I want to make, again, I think a lot of times fans get overly focused on who theoretically has superstar potential, even if that potential is say just 10% because they just think of these high end outcomes. Whereas in reality, teams do care about the floor scenarios, especially those that are trying to win. And one example I can point to, the Brooklyn Nets trade of Kevin Durant to Phoenix one year ago, where the biggest asset they got from the Suns, Mikhail Bridges. The Nets were not getting, now I guess, you know, maybe one of those draft assets from Phoenix down the road eventually becomes a high pick. You'll, you'll have to wait and see. You know, that's sort of a crapshoot. But the Nets did not trade KD for someone who could theoretically be a young star. No, they wanted a 26-year-old Mikhail Bridges, a high-floor guy. They were in a position where they did not want to bottom out, and a lot of other teams have you know, similar thinking. And so that's, that's why I keep really reminding people, even if Mikhail Bridges isn't your long-term two-guard on a contender three, four years from now, there's so many other options. He could be tempting as you know, an upper tier role player to so many other teams around the league and his high floor when it comes to his values and a very reasonable contract would make him very attractive, even if he doesn't have superstar potential. There's also the option you could move him at the three and eventually phase Dylan out as he ages. There's a lot of different things you can do, but the bottom line, it's not just about the ceiling. I think people just sometimes get bogged down about who can be a superstar. And yes, even in year three, there's definitely still you know, maybe it's just 10% at this point, but there's definitely a world where Jalen Green can be an all-NBA player one day. Not saying it's going to happen, but it's plausible. I don't think Mikhail Bridges will be. And for some people, that's all they look at. But in terms of the value, not just now, but moving forward, the floor scenarios do matter. And so Mikhail Bridges, not just what he does in the short term, but also the certainty of that asset moving forward, if, say, a Donovan Mitchell were to come available down the line, I don't know why... Bridges couldn't be an important part of that package if you wanted it to be. And if Mitchell said, hey, I want to go to Houston and play for Ime. So just think of it in terms of optionality. It's not so much about, you know, Bridges versus Jalen or Jalen versus anyone in a vacuum. It's also about what that asset is going to look like in the future. And I think those are the types of conversations that the Rockets are hopefully having uh, behind the scenes right now. Who ultimately stays? Who ultimately goes at this NBA trade deadline for you, Houston Rockets? Drop your predictions in the YouTube comments. If you're listening to the podcast, if you're watching on YouTube, tell us what you think is going to happen at this NBA trade deadline for the Rockets. Tell us what you want to happen at the deadline. You don't come up with some crazy crap like trade for Luka. But, Ben, you know the drill. Let everyone know where to track you down at. Yep, uh, Ben Dubose on Twitter, the Rocketswire on Twitter, the Logger Line on Twitter, and Rocketswire.usatoday.com for all your daily Houston Rockets game coverage and rumors throughout this trade deadline week. 
That's going to do it for another edition of Locked on Rockets. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Just search Locked on Rockets, like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. But as always, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.